0: First, close to 30,000 migrants have come to Chicago since August of 2022, and finding places for them to stay in the short and long term has been a top priority for the Johnson administration. Schools, park buildings, hotels, warehouses, and more have been made into temporary shelters. And there's been controversy at some of these sites due to conditions inside and reaction from community members. So what is the backstory on these buildings? Well, for our What's That Building series, our architectural sleuth, Dennis Rodkin, is zooming out a bit to examine the history of five buildings that were used to shelter migrants here in Chicago. And he joins us now in studio. Welcome back, Dennis. Hi, Sasha. Good to see you. So uh, there isn't a publicly available list that's detailing which buildings the city's using as temporary shelters, but we know that there are quite a few. Uh, and it's happening right now. And as I mentioned, there's a range when it comes to the kinds of buildings that are being used. So what do you make of that?
1: Well, I think, you know, it, 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 there is a question. Where do you put 30,000 people? And um, they couldn't all be put in one neighborhood. We certainly saw pushback when it looked as if they might be concentrated here or concentrated there. Um. It, Fortunately, and I put that in quotation marks, there are vacant buildings all around the city. Mm -hmm. I mean, only fortunately because it means that they can be used for housing. Um, And when you look at, when you put together uh, a list of where these buildings are, they truly are scattered all over the city. And we know there are also some in Oak Park and other places. That's
0: right. And and speaking of putting together the list, we, we know the city also doesn't share how the buildings are being selected. So how did you decide to to narrow down the ones that you wanted to research?
1: Well, we're going to talk about five. I was looking at about a dozen. I just wrote down addresses when, when they were mentioned. A lot of times they were mentioned because there was a controversy about selecting them. Right. Uh, in the case of the first building we're going to talk about, Fran Spielman from the Sun-Times actually got confirmation that the Standard Club building was housing migrants. And I thought, oh, well, that's got to be in this list because we'll talk about the historical resonance there. But I just I sort of went through several of them finding trying to find those that had relevant history Mm -hmm. or a history we could tell uh, because, I mean, you know, we are at a historic point. This infusion of 30,000 migrants here, similar numbers in New York and other cities is a historic point. And so uh, The person doing my job 30, 50 years from now Mm -hmm. will also be mentioning these buildings and their present-day use.
0: And before we kick off your list with the former Standard Club, uh, if folks listening want more details about the capacity at each place to house people and when the buildings became shelters, head over to WBEZ.org and read Dennis's full story that's up right now. All right, so this shelter, this is at 320 South Plymouth Court, Tell us more about the club, Dennis, and and the kind of social cachet it had.
1: You know, it's, it's pretty fascinating to think that the standard club would end up as migrant housing, not only because it's quite a beautiful building, but because it has a very distinguished past. Uh, so the club, the standard club, dates to 1869. It was organized by Jewish business executives who had been excluded from other social clubs in the city. Mm-hmm. The building that, uh, that we're talking about dates to 1926. They had, I think, two buildings prior to this, possibly three. Uh, this is a club that, in its day, Julius Rosenwald, one of the the, the men who really built Sears, was a member Nathan Cummings, who founded what became Sarah Lee. All three members of the company, Hart, Shafter, and Marx. More recently, Dan Edelman, who founded uh, the giant PR firm. J.B. Pritzker, now governor of Illinois. Mm-hmm. Significant Jewish figures were all members of the Standard Club. Interesting. But it died out. It has membership in social clubs has died out. And this one slimmed down uh, so much in the years prior to COVID that right as covid was starting there was an announcement that we're going to shut down and then just a few weeks later very suddenly they did shut down um and -hmm. so the building was empty from early 2020.
0: yeah so the guest list was was rather grand but so is is the current building right it's a 13-floor palazzo style building
1: it is it's beautiful and one of the things that I, i walked by this morning to remind myself it's beautiful on both sides it's on Two streets. Uh, It's a slender one. The the primary entrance is on Plymouth, but you go around the back, and both sides are uh, beautiful cut limestone, arched windows going up several courses up, hoods on some of the windows. It was designed by Albert Kahn in 1926. Kahn was one of the most significant architects in Detroit, Mm -hmm. um, also Jewish, and this is how he ends up connected to the Standard Club. And again, so they're building this club in 1926 when they're decades old. They were founded in 1869. And it was really, so it's just south of what's now the federal building, but it was really the heart of business Chicago. And it really said, we are an established institution. We have roots. We're, we have this giant classical building Mm -hmm. with an art collection inside and huge staircases. It's quite a place.
0: Now, it had an interesting connection to another crisis in our city's history, and I'm talking about the Chicago Fire. Wow. That,
1: I think, is really fascinating. So, so again, not the building, but the club, the right. organization. Uh, they, were, they were at 13th and Michigan in 1871 when the fire happened. They were just outside the burnt District. And two days after the fire, they said, we will give you this as your headquarters, the Central Relief Committee, which also had other buildings that were called headquarters. There was a congregational church. But this is where a lot of the work was done uh, by the Central Relief Committee, which was an organization of primarily businessmen, business leaders in Chicago in 1871. They had to find a way. So here's the real historical resonance. They had to find a way to house the approximately 100,000 Chicagoans who lost their homes in the fire. Mm. And so now here it is uh, housing Migrants, migrants who have come here? in in another crisis.
0: Yeah, and, and when the building closed in 2020, a hotel developer bought it. Was it ever used as a hotel?
1: No, it, uh, that hadn't happened yet. Uh, that's the case in a couple of our buildings is there was a new use planned, hadn't started yet, and instead the owner gotcha. uh, apparently gets a contract with the city. The The details of how these become shelters are not known, uh, but no, it had not yet converted to a hotel I would imagine some of the work had been done, but Mm -hmm. I don't know that.
0: Well, uh, let's shift to one that has. uh, 4900 South DuSable Lakeshore Drive has been several different motel and hotel brands over the years. I I mean, I know you found accounts that listed it uh, as quite striking when it first opened.
1: Yeah, so uh, you can't tell now because it's just this sort of hodgepodge of buildings but it was a really dazzling 1950s motel. This is an era when we're building the you know the real mid-century motel with mm-hmm. the neon signs, and this had two of them. One said 50th on the Lake, which was the name of the motel, and one said um, Surf and Surrey, which was the name of the restaurant. Big uh, neon signs on this glassy building with a swimming pool. Uh, as, as we said, open in the late 50s, open by 1959, but I don't know the exact opening date. This was one of a few shoreline motels, motels right on Lakeshore Drive, uh, looking at the lake. Mm -hmm. And you would have come in, you know, in your big 50s car from Omaha for your vacation in Chicago and stayed here at this motel then it becomes over the course of time it bec- it turns and turns it's a travel lodge it's a Hilton various things they've been remodeled or as people like to say remodeled mm. you really can't if you look online you see the photo we have of what it yes. looked like in the 50s oh yeah not that now now Pool it's just kind bag, of a lump umbrellas yeah really right? cool and so, so now for, it's just a
0: cluster of buildings
1: now, yeah and they don't look like much
0: mm. so there's a connection that you mentioned in your article that's pretty interesting
1: Muhammad Ali? Muhammad Ali. Blows my mind. So what I don't know is, was he staying there at the time? But he did have a press conference on June 28, 1971, in 1967, Muhammad Ali was convicted of draft of draft evasion. Many people remember the history. Uh, he converted to Islam. He changed his name, mm-hmm. and he refused to be drafted into the Vietnam War. He's convicted in 1967. It works. It's, he's robbed. He's uh, Some of his boxing titles are taken away from him. Ninth, June 28, 1971, the U.S. Supreme Court overturns that conviction. Ali is in Chicago. Uh, he's actually shopping. And somebody tells him and he goes to the hotel, has a press conference, and it's there that he said, I give thanks to Allah and to the Supreme Court for believing in my sincerity. Mm. So this is I mean, this is like a significant moment in the history of Muhammad Ali happening there where now we see migrants are being housed.
0: Uh, So let's touch on three others that you cover in the article, Dennis. The American Islamic College at 640 Irving Park Road is next. Now, this was built in the 20s. It was a Catholic girls high school school. Who built it? A
1: man named Barry Byrne was the architect. Uh, it was Immaculata High School. It was uh, it was a very modern building for 1921, 1922. Barry Byrne uh, had worked for Frank Lloyd Wright. He had a lot of ideas, and this is one of the first—he's now on his own in the early 20s, and this is one of the first places where he really gets to do his thing, and he decorates it beautifully. He, one of the things I, I'm really fond of that you can still see on the exterior— is he takes the old arched Gothic windows of Catholic churches dating back centuries, and he makes them very narrow. Um, I hate to make the connection, but they almost look like bullets. They're lancet shaped, and it's just a real. It's a very cool sort of a look. Uh, there was also no longer, but there was a statue of the Madonna over the door, mm. known as the Madonna of the doorway, because all the Catholic girls, as they went in passed beneath her. Um, It was a beautiful building. I don't know the state of the interior now because, uh, so it's built in the 20s, and then in uh, 1983 it becomes the American Islamic College. Mm -hmm. It's that for four decades, and they have sold it. But what we do know is that this is the beginning for Barry Byrne. He goes on, his better-known church in Chicago, um, pardon me, is St. Thomas the Apostle in Hyde Park, which most people know is... One of the most wonderful, ornate, modern churches we have in the city. And then he goes on to design beautiful, really unusual, modern Catholic churches primarily. Some ch- Catholic schools and other denominations in Wilmette, in Milwaukee, wow. in Kansas City, in Cork, Ireland. One of the f- uh, famous churches in Cork, Ireland is by our Barry Byrne. And he starts there at yeah. um Immaculata High School.
0: And and this school, it's got the capacity to house over a 1,000 migrants, right? It's a
1: big building. It's a, yeah. it's a couple of buildings. It's a school. There was a school, a convent, several things mm-hmm. all put together.
0: Let's go to the former Wadsworth Elementary School in Woodlawn. That's one of those very contentious sites I alluded to earlier in the conversation. Now, it was uh, one of the Chicago public schools that was shuttered during the Emanuel administration. Right. So we're clear. But decades before that happened... A student would later go on to make great contributions to science, and that person walked the halls.
1: Yeah, Mae Jemison. It was Mae Jemison, yeah. The first black woman in space. Uh, She was on the space shuttle Endeavor in 1992. Um, I remember the news of her. I mean, this was huge at the time, and she has gone on to contribute in many other ways. At one point, a few years after the um, the space shuttle ride, she told the Tribune that this school, which at the time was named Alexander Dumas, it later became Wadworth. She said that it was in that building that she did her first science experiment. She was not specific about what that experiment was, and I haven't been able to find, mm-hmm. but that's kind of amazing. And so then it the the name gets changed because... Uh, you know, there were schools being consolidated. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it closes as a Chicago public school. It becomes the University of Chicago's charter school. They moved out. Uh, there was not yet a plan, and it became, after some controversy, mm-hmm. a migrant shelter.
0: Yeah, this next one, the the, the last one on your list here, it, it uh, got media attention, of course, last month when a five-year-old boy got sick, staying at this shelter in Pilson. And and unfortunately died. Uh, there was reporting of substandard conditions inside the shelter. But just orient us a bit: twenty two forty one South Halsted. That's a pretty industrial area.
1: Right? It is. It's uh, this is an industrial building. It's more than a century. It's at least hundred and twenty years old. Um, in a factory district, it's just it's uh, when the South Branch starts to curve uh, and goes southwest, where it's really sort of all factories and industrial work. This mm-hmm. is there. This, uh, I don't know when the building was built exactly, and I don't know its original use, but by the early 1900s, it's a Sears Roebuck warehouse, mm-hmm. one of the biggest business names that ever came out of Chicago. It later, in 1920, um, Sears moves on. Sears is growing fast and is building its own, own warehouses, and a company called Knockman moves in. They were, it's fascinating to look at this. It's 1920, they're making spring filled cushions for. They're making couches that are filled with springs Mm -hmm. instead of just full of fluff. They're making car seats separately, you know, so like the furniture for your car and the furniture for your living room, all built there. They're there. uh, They come in in the 1920s, and then a couple of decades later, it changes hands to the owners who the family still has it today, the Rubin Brothers. Yeah. The Rubin Brothers who made uh, one of their primary products was fire-retardant clothing, including the clothes that steelworkers, something like uh-huh. 80,000 steelworkers in Chicago and northwest Indiana would have worn. Yeah,
0: and so this building is the south branch of the Chicago River is, is where yeah, it's the,
1: situated. Yeah, just the river kind of bends right around this building, essentially.
0: Yeah, and as I said at the top, we're talking about quite a range of buildings, Dennis. So give us your, your takeaway from all this reporting.
1: Well, you know, I don't know. It's very difficult to say. Um, as I said when we started, it... It's fortunate that there are empty buildings. Certainly, it's not a great thing that there are empty buildings. Some of these were in use and were converted uh, by the owners to house migrants. But I do think that somewhere down the line, I said my counterpart 50 years from now, I don't expect to be doing this job 50 years from now, but I think somebody might be looking back and saying, these are all the places that at a really important moment in uh, both American and Chicago history, These migrants were housed.
0: Yeah. That's Dennis Rodkin, residential real estate reporter for Crane Chicago Business and our What's That Building sleuth. Thank you so much, Dennis.
1: Thanks, Sasha.